This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Try to put on the show. That's one step forward for the Danny and Gallant show. One giant rocket ship for all men? No, we're not going to get into any sort of space launch with Jeff Bezos, are we, Paul? Sure looks like a rocket ship, that's for sure. Doesn't look yeah, like Yeah, is he going to space or not? The, the, the rocket launch that spawned a thousand takes on income inequity? No, we're going to deal like simple Spot. things like where has the Mariner's ace gone? Where, oh, where have you happened to see him? He's last noticed with a intense demeanor, somewhat shaggy. Back of his head, some go- some locks trailing out of his hat. We we've been missing the man who's been the bulldog of the Mariners staff, and I I think that the Seattle Mariners desperately need their ace to sh- to show up post haste. Marco Gonzalez on the hill tonight in his hometown of Denver, and we need to see a better version of Marco Gonzalez the second half of the season. Well, maybe this is the night that you decide to bring Kevin Mather out of whatever cave he's in. To remind the world once again that he finds Marco Gonzalez to be boring so that perhaps you can unlock some sort of rage out of Marco Gonzalez as he pitches tonight at Coors Field. It's Marco's one of those competitors that I don't like to criticize for this reason. It's never because of a lack of focus. Like, I really don't think it's... the, the easiest criticism to offer is someone who you think just didn't focus enough, right? Who wasn't plugged into the task at hand, who for, for whatever reason wasn't. I don't ever feel that Marcus, Marco is someone that falls into that category. The tough thing is when you criticize and wonder, like, maybe he's just not that good or maybe he doesn't have the ability to do it. And I'm not Marco's got a really strong track record. But this season has been concerning because we haven't seen the results that we're used to. And, and we're at a point in the year where if the Mariners are going are to pay this off, if they're going to finish with a winning record, if they're going to chase and be in the playoff conversation, Marco needs to not just be better but be significantly better the second half of the season. That's just the reality of it. Injuries early on. Recently, he became a father for the first time. So there are some factors that you could say, okay, this has been a more difficult year than years past. But you're right. I mean, there's a reason that the Mariners are looking for starting pitching at the trade deadline, and it's not because of what you've gotten out of Chris Flexen, which has been a surprise, or out of Logan Gilbert, which has been really impressive, or out of Yusei Kikuchi, who's finally figuring things out. I mean, this is the guy that you expected going into this year to build off of what he did last season. You didn't do that with Justin Dunn. You didn't do that with Justice Sheffield necessarily. You're hopeful. But this year, you were looking at Marco Gonzalez and James Paxton to be your one and two in no particular order. Paxton gets hurt, and Gonzalez just hasn't been Marco Gonzalez. It's hard to call Marco a disappointment because this is a guy that has not just survived but thrived with minimal velocity. In, in an era that prizes velocity. It's hard to say, hey, you know what? It's di-. But Marco Gonzalez has been a disappointment. His performance this year has been a disappointment. That's the blunt reality of it. I'm it's sure perfect- he'd tell you that too. I mean, as yes, someone who's that he, competitive, come on. He's, he, he must know. You're, you're absolutely right. But that's what makes it hard, right? When you say, yeah. you can't, hey, just pull it together, man. He's like, look, dude, 
Yeah, I'm trying. I, I, but trust me, I'm trying. Marco has less room for error than other pitchers because of that lower velocity. If he doesn't have his control, the, you mentioned the injury, the the what was it, the strained flexor bundle. Yeah, there's still part of me that wonders if that's affecting his willingness to throw certain pitches, specifically his cut fastball. But whatever the reason, whatever the explanation. The bottom line is is it's a results business. Marco Gonzalez has been you expected him to be your first or second best pitcher. He's been fourth maybe and that's only because Paxton got hurt just as Sheffield has regressed instead of instead of taking a step forward and Justin Dunn has been incredibly inconsistent though you've liked what you've seen from him in some instances. All it takes I think if you're a lefty that bases so much of your game off of location is a slight drop in velocity for some guys to eat you up. And the comparison that I would make is Dallas Keuchel. I think that they are very similar as far as their overall games. And Keuchel's a guy that I covered in Houston. And I remember in 2015, he was awesome. He won the Cy Young. But as time wore on, you've seen that velocity diminish. And I mean, when you watched him with the White Sox against the Mariners a couple of weeks ago, the balls that he left out there. I mean, guys crushed him. I, I, I feel like maybe that is a thing with lefties. I think for some righter, right-handed hitters, you're going to see that left-hander and the ball coming to you a lot better than you would from a righty. And if it's slow and the guy's not hitting the pinpoint uh, locations, then they can really turn on it. But that's my just wild guess as to what's happening is that he's just not quite hitting what he used to. Because that's the assumption. He's the location-based pitcher. Marco Gonzalez is the key to the second half of Seattle's The season. key. Interesting. I believe he is the key. He, if, if the Mariners are going to finish above 500, he needs to be good. And if they're going to compete for a playoff spot, I think he needs to be great. And let's be clear, he's been, he's been great at not just stretches, but over years. Like He's been one of the statistically most effective starting pitchers in the American League over the past three years, and he has been a below-average pitcher this year. He needs to be good. He needs to be above-average if, if they're going to finish above 500. Given all the things that and, and how they've gotten to this point, what they project, he needs to be good. And if they're going to compete for a playoff spot, he needs to be great. I do trust Mark, Marco's competitiveness. I do believe that he's the guy. I'm looking forward to seeing how he pitches tonight. He's going up against Armand Marquez. Your guy. I, I lo- I, the apple of my eye. The darling of my trade deadline dreams, Armand Marquez, he's going to be going up against him. It's in his hometown. It's the first time he's pitched there since he came to the Seattle Mariners. I'm, I'm looking for. I want him to have a burr in his saddle. I want him to be furious, motivated, fired up. Let's go. We need a good to great Marco Gonzalez in the second half. A good to great Marco Gonzalez is not something, though, you're going to know you're going to have before the trade deadline. It would have been nice to potentially see this over the last couple of weeks because then you feel a little bit better at the trade deadline about maybe not having to necessarily do anything, not have to give anything up to go after Herman Marquez. And by the way, I'm surprised that we didn't start the show with you just like clearing the table. I've got a PowerPoint presentation for you guys. Herman Marquez, look at all he's able to do. I thought for sure you're going to do that. And honestly, I thought you might, you know, advocate for the Mariners to uh, throw the game against uh, Marquez today to make the management know that Marquez is awesome and that they need to trade for him. Oh, that's not. No, no. If I was going to advocate something, I was go like, go out there and clobber Herman Marquez like a rented mule and make Uh, the Rockies think he's worthless. Drive the price down. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. What you want him to tank? You want him to drive his own price up? That's crazy talk. Uh, Well, I guess I, I, I feel like. 
it's is it more about driving his price up or down, or is it about convincing Mariners management? Oh, this guy's awesome. Well, I would say the could, latter. You, you do, okay, you could you could text in seven ten seven ten. That that's one side of the equation. The Mariners side of the equation is is Marco Gonzalez, yep. and Marco is someone who has he's got an eye of the tiger. Like not not all players have it. Not all players need it. For some guys, being as intense as Marco is could be a detriment. Like you, you, you become a, you become overly fixated. You become that's how Marco th- thrives, man. It's one of the things that I like most about the player. I I don't think you've heard this before, but he's a guy that will take things personally. Several years ago, I, this is one of my favorite quotes from any baseball player ever. The the Toronto Blue Jays, who each year when they play at T-Mobile Park, bring an infestation of, I would say, overly polite Canadian fans, but they're not overly polite. They're kind of, I don't like the Blue Jay takeovers. I, I right. Every year I would make the policy to go to the stadium to be somewhat antagonistic toward Blue Jay fans and just to fly the flag. Yeah, and and... And Marco Marco shared this sentiment to the point we had T-shirts made with the phrase "Not on our table," because here was here was Marco took it kind of personally. I love to hear this. I take it personally when the team comes in here and uh, and brings their brings their faithful fans um, with their muddy shoes and stomped on our carpet and took a dump on our dining room table. I take it personal. <laughs> Sounds yeah. Like- Sounds like uh, Charlie Murphy talking about Rick James coming over. I, I, I want that Marco Gonzalez on the mound tonight. I want someone who took it personally what happened in the first half of the season, took it personally that he, he was been described as a disappointment who, and who absolutely takes that and, and, and silences the Rockies and any doubts. Let's go, Marco. It's Danny and Gallant. On the day that someone, a rich guy, launched himself into space, we're going to give you some other front page news. This, this is the front page. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710, get what you need to know to start your day right now. You're the second rich guy to launch yourself into space. Does it even matter? Here's what I was going to say, though. Aren't we doing this wrong? Like, wow. isn't the whole idea is to take insufferable rich guys, launch them into space, and leave them there? Ah. Like isn't it, wouldn't that be better for everybody involved? There's a whole lot of people that I would like to see launched out of our but, atmosphere. But I thought everyone wants those people taxed or something. Well, <laughs> maybe once they get up there, it's going to be harder for them to to, to monitor their bank accounts. Oh yeah, Brad, just take get, all their funds. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get to let's get to some sports news. The Olympics are beginning this week, and if you haven't noticed, they're in some trouble. And let's start with the health news. There's been 67. What I what I've attendees, participants, people associated with who've tested positive for coronavirus. There's going to be no fans at any of the events. It doesn't sound like Japan, which is currently in the midst of an uptick of coronavirus infections, is particularly excited about having the games in their city. And the the IOC boss today this morning would not rule out potentially canceling these Olympic games. They don't have the same resources that the United States does as far as the actual ability to put the vaccine out there and for those who don't know, Tokyo might be the de- most densely populated city in the world so that's not a great recipe for international games that were supposed to have fans that's surprising that they would cancel them entirely Danny, because of how much money they've already lost, do they really want to lose more money? These 
fat cats. I mean, we talk about rich people launching themselves into space. The IOC is one that I would love to see launched into space, never to return. Keep an eye on this. I, I'm not convinced. The sponsors, like Toyota, is a sponsor of it. Toyota is yeah. not advertising in Japan during Surprising. the Olympic Games. Toyota is recognizing that that the country the country of Japan is not excited about these Olympic Games taking place there when they are, and there's going to be no spectators. Keep an eye on that. The front page. Mitch Hanniger, the Mariners' best position player, was named the American League Player of the Week, especially after what he did this past weekend against the Angels, where he went 455, 533, 1,092 with the slash line, five hits, 15 plate appearances, a double, and two home runs. Can we stop with the slash line? Slash line. No, the slash line, when people say that, I have a relative idea of what good bet. Like, we don't need the slash line. What's his we don't need door? the slash line. His wins it's above replacement. No, all this stuff. The, the the steam heads need to come up with easier to understand Bad shorthand, bit. right? Like he used to. He's bit hitting bad. three. He's hitting three thirty. You used to knew exactly what that meant. Giving somebody their slash line, you're like, oh, whoa, whoa, that OPS is just. <laughs> What's his exoba? Yeah, come on, Klongdorp. His plume thing. Yeah, his I, I'm with you. What's his Pakoda? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's great to see him win the award, though. Uh, he's played well over the last week, and hopefully he's able to keep this up. I, I found it interesting, Danny. A couple of weeks ago, he was asked about the power numbers that he's had, and he says, yeah, they're great, but I want to hit for average. And that average has jumped up about, I think, 10 points over the last week or so. So we'll see if he's able to keep it up, but... Much like with Marco Gonzalez, you need to get better out of him. You need Hanniger to continue this level of play. And the Mariners really do have a tough decision to make, as we talked about yesterday, because his value is never going to be higher than it is, I think, at this moment in time right now, with a year-plus left on uh, under team control the rest of this season and next year. And on top of that, just with the way that he's hitting and with him actually being healthy all season long. Good teams let players leave as free agents all the time. Yeah, but are the right? Mariners good? Come on. Not yet. Not yet. But they want to be a good team. Right. You, you can't, but you can't let guys go before you're yes, a you team. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Why? Well, no, no. I'm, you You don't want to trade a guy just because you think you can't re-sign him. Like, would the, should the Astros have traded Garrett Cole? No. They couldn't afford him, but they got every bit of use out of him that they could. Like, don't, don't, be a, don't consign yourself to being a farm team for good teams. I'm with you on that. I am. I'm just saying, this is a very difficult decision. I would not want to be in old Jer Bear shoes. I'll be in Jer Bear shoes. No, I'm not trading Mitch Hanniger. That is front page news. Don't miss a minute of the Kraken expansion draft with 710 ESPN Seattle. Bob Stelton hosting with Mike Salk and John Paul Morosi for live pick-by-pick analysis. The Kraken officially coming to life. That's tomorrow, 5 to 7, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now it's time to get inside the car with the professor for our morning drive. John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything, everything. NFL, NFL from the professor, John Clayton. John Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. Professor, I'm really curious as to what camp you think this is coming from, but we saw this morning that, per Adam Schefter, the Packers had offered Aaron Rodgers a two-year contract extension that would have tied him to Green Bay for five more seasons and made him the highest-paid quarterback and player in football. Rodgers declined the offer, proof it's not about the money. 
it seems to be just further uh, confirmation of the stories that we've been hearing this entire offseason. So w- where do you think this is coming from? Because usually this mm-hmm. is one side trying to make the other side look bad. Yeah, because remember, it was, it was Adam who put out the idea right before the draft that uh, Aaron wanted out of there. And, of course, I mean, even though he's you know certainly hinted and got mm-hmm. all teammates and things like that, knowing that he wanted to get out of there, I think what it indicates is that uh, he – is probably going to stay. And remember, I made the change on this because all yes, offseason, uh, I kept on saying that I think he's going to hold out into the season. Last Friday, when I heard A.J. Hawk got together with him, uh, as, well, a close friend and former Packer linebacker, and I know that Mercedes Lewis over the weekend said he's going to be there for training camp, that he's he's going to stay a Packer. Now the question is, is he going to be there for the start of training camp? But I think what it indicates is that at some point he wants out. And I think he wants out now probably more next year than this year because I think he wants to play. He wants to make you know make do on his $33.5 million contract and all that stuff. But I think that uh, – I don't know if he wants to give that commitment long term. I think that you know what will probably end up happening is that uh, you know for him to come in, they'll give him a little bit more money this year. And then uh, he'll go ahead and then uh, see if he can get a trade next year because I think he's still upset with management – you know, because again, you know, the idea is okay. We'll give you more money this year, and then we'll trade you next year. I don't think he trusts that second part of it because I don't think he trusts the general manager and the front office and all those different things. But in the end, I don't think he's going to go to another team. It's just going to be a matter of when he gets into the Green Bay Packers. If you're just joining us, a bit of news this morning: Adam Schefter is reporting that this is back in March and April that the that. The Packers and Rodgers had discussed a potential contract extension, adding two years to his deal, which would make him the highest paid quarterback. After that, so after these discussions happened, then Schefter on the day of the draft reported that Aaron Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to stay in Green Bay. This kind of, if you put those two together in sequence, it's kind of like the Packers said, all right, Aaron, we know we kind of goofed. We shouldn't have drafted him. But and we know that you're mad and you played awesome last year. Can we make it up to you with with this two year extension? And Aaron was like, "Well, think about it." And he's like, "No, it's not enough. I would like to get more of an apology from you. And in fact, I I don't want to be here anymore." That's kind of what it sounds like. And I'm not saying Aaron's wrong to do that, but it it kind of sounds like the the Packers tried to do a make good. And it just wasn't good enough for Aaron's taste. Yeah, and of course, I mean, really, what it comes down to is that uh, the simple solution is to say, just trade Jordan Love. Jordan Love. Just get rid of him. (laughs) I mean, it's like, hey, you may have loved Jordan Love to the point where you took him in the first round, you traded up to get him and all those different things. Just trade the guy. Get him out of there. I mean, Aaron Rodgers didn't need this. I mean, he's won 13 games in each of the last two years. I mean, you can see that he feels betrayed by management by not getting enough good receivers because He's got Devontae Adams and a bunch of number threes and number four receivers and all those different things. I mean, you, you, you haven't got him enough talent around him to a point where his legacy is, oh, Aaron, you're a Hall of Famers, but you're one and four in NFC championship games and you've lost four in a row because you just haven't had enough around you. Just get rid of Jordan Love, and then maybe you can get you know Aaron Rodgers to commit well, for five years. Maybe don't look like you quit in the NFC Championship giving us the 49 Oh, you think he quit? Oh, yeah. come on! At one play, you're, you're so you're so wrong. 
<laughs> the reason you were wrong is because of the bad coaching by Matt LaFleur. Mm. I mean, he sends a play in late and where Aaron thought that he had an extra down to be able to do it. And so it's like, so then, you know, he goes ahead and he doesn't pull it in. I mean, that, that was in the coach. It wasn't on uh, Aaron Rodgers. And then they they go for the field goal. I mean, please. Football's on the ground, you know? Sometimes. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> wrong. <laughs> John, Melvin Ingram, signed by the Pittsburgh Steelers, one year, $4 million. Are you surprised at the size of the deal? I don't know. Because remember, when they put out it's it's worth up to $4 million. Oh, that's true. That's true. And and again, um, being that I don't research anything and I don't – it's like I I went through all the contracts that were signed with uh, guys on the street since May May 2nd uh, this year. And that was when free agency, unrestricted free agency, there was only six guys that got more than $3 million and only two that got more than 3.6. So I don't think he got 4 million. My guess is just like they, uh, my, my guess is probably at the most 3.6 and uh, more likely than not, it's going to be 3 million. While we're on other really good front seven guys defensively, yeah. Geno Atkins, we saw a tweet that he had been cleared in mid-June and he's expected to start taking visits soon. That, to me, John, sounds like maybe there hasn't been a whole lot of interest in him because he hasn't really been talked about a lot over the last couple of weeks. And if he was cleared in mid-June, then why haven't we seen any of those meetings take place? Uh, where do you expect him to end up? Because it does sound like the interest is not quite that high across the league. No, I would I would disagree with that because again, what you're looking at is that uh, since mid June, nobody's done anything. I mean, like mm. I, I go through the waiver wire each day, and what what has there been? Maybe four, five, six signings since uh, mid June. I mean, once you once you got out of the mini camps, everybody went on vacation. So it's like you're going to come in for a visit, and there's no going to be nobody going to be there in the front office. And so I would have to think, and I wouldn't see, be surprised if Seattle shows some interest. I mean, they got Carlos Dunlap there. It's not like they're out of the market for a defensive tackle. I think there is some interest and in all that stuff. But now that he's been cleared, and again, so much of these injury things is a matter. It's like okay, once you're cleared, then you can go ahead. So it's like I, I think that uh, you know he'll get something. I mean, again, what we're looking at right now. Even though with the problems with Richard Sherman, I mean, he was number one on the top 15 as far as a list of players that were available in in free agency. And obviously that's in question right now. Melvin Ingram was number three. I mean, Geno Atkins is not in that top five, but I think he'll, he'll get some kind of a deal. And we're starting to see now that everybody's coming back from vacation that, you know, deals are starting to get starting to get done. I mean, beginning because last week there was only one guy. Uh, on the waiver wire that's signed. And so it's like, uh, no, I think that he'll get something. I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle shows some interest. He is the professor. John, we'll look forward to you getting us caught up with all of the late signings as training camp gets set to open next week. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you. You can follow the professor. His writing, 710sports.com. He'll be on this afternoon with Wyman and Bob. And then remember, at 5 o'clock, we've got the Kraken expansion draft. That starts tomorrow with Mike Salk, Bob Stelton, and John Paul Morosi. Which Mariners have been great so far? More importantly, who needs to be great if Seattle's going to break their playoff drought? We'll tell you next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Some pretty brutal breaking news for the Los Angeles Rams as running back Cam Akers for Tom Pelissero suffered a torn Achilles while training. 
He is their leading rusher from last season, and it's a week before training camp begins that he suffers that injury. So the Matt Stafford reclamation project is going to likely be without L.A.'s top running back. Injuries are always brutal, right? There's a certain feeling of it's unavoidable. It's also just sad. When they get hurt right before the season, doesn't it just feel like the biggest waste? Like it yeah. feels ex- it, it just feels extra unfair where you're like, oh man. And I know they happen and there's also I don't think you can't avoid injuries when you're training to prepare for playing tackle football, but it's brutal when they happen right now where you're like, they haven't even gotten to the point where it even comes close to starting to count. Yeah. Yep. That's I'm bummed, I'm- man. I'm bummed. Even when it's a, a player on another team that you think of as a, I'm bummed. That stinks. It stinks. Also helps the Seahawks out. Oh, you can't see. I can't say that last part. Yeah. I can't do that last part. Let's no, see. you want to beat them at full strength. I want to beat them. I don't care how. I Cam mean, Akers is a good player. I want to see him play. That stinks. It stinks for him. It stinks for everybody. It does stink for everybody, except for the Seahawks. <laughs> Just don't 49ers. No. <laughs> the Cardinals. That, that, That's the, bad the, karma. The, don't do that. Yeah, the dependent clause you're putting on that, the but, the however, the except... Like that's the dark part of your soul. Yep. That part is is it, it it's it's like a it's a gray area. It's charcoal. Football's a game of survival. Anywho, we hope Cam Akers gets better. On a serious note, that is a big bummer for him. So the Seattle Mariners. Except, I didn't say it this time. <laughs> we moved on. The Seattle Mariners second half of the year. We you know this first half. There's been a lot of good, very good performances for brief stretches. Great performances. I would say for the last couple of weeks. Both J.P. Crawford and Logan Gilbert have played great. Mitch Haniger is coming off of a great week and a half or so. But has anyone really been great from the beginning to where we're at now? The answer is no. Are they going to need any guys to, first off, that they have currently playing good, very good, to get to that level the second half of the year, Danny? And also... are. Do they just need guys who aren't at that level yet that aren't maybe even close to that level yet to get there too? They're certainly going to need they're going to need players to pick it up, right? If they're going to get to the if they're going to get to the end, if they're going to stay above 500, they've been a, a big surprise so far. I think it's a credit to how tough they are. If they're going to pay this off, if they're going to carry it forward, you're going to need some pro- bigger performances from some guys who haven't been as good so far. I would leading one is Marco Gonzalez. Number two, I think, is Jared Kelnick. If you're telling me, like, hey, how do the Mariners finish above 500 this year? It's like Marco Gonzalez and Jared Kelnick are both good. They're above average. They're above an average player for the second half of the season. Gonzalez, it can happen. Do you expect it to happen with Jared? Is that even fair to expect it to happen with Jared, just given the way that things went off, even if he's in the midst of a three-game hitting streak? Is it fair? No. Is is that the route to them being above 500 I mean that's if you're asking me how do they get to that point it's that Jared Kelnick's better than you expected and certainly much better than he showed in his first go-round and maybe that's too much for him right now I expect him to play a ton in the second half of the year we don't know if Kyle Lewis is being back do you expect Jake Fraley to be as good no in the second half of the year as the first half I do not either he has played very well but I do not expect that I am also just operating as if Kyle Lewis is not going to be back the rest of the season Maybe. Who could possibly, who do you think could be better that you can say? Is it more reasonable to say that Mitch Hanniger has a better second half than a first half? Hanniger's been really good. He's, it, it, 
if anything, you would worry about like he might not be as good. Seager, Seager's underperformed the first half of the season. That's who I would say because Seager's power numbers have been there. It's not as if this season has been a disaster for him. Power wise, he's actually been there. A text, LOL, have we given up on Seager getting better? Yeah, dot, dot, dot. I, I think we, I, I have, man. Like, and I'll, he plays a good third base. He plays a good third base. And he hits for power. And I think this is who he is. I think he's a 220 hitter with enough pop that he can be a starting third baseman for you. But I don't, I don't think he's, I, this is who he is. I think Seager hitting where he's at and getting up to 250, 260, that's an uphill battle. It's a steep uphill battle. But I think that is a more realistic ask than to see Jared Kelnick be truly awesome down the stretch. And what frightens me a little bit, but also I think it's more realistic than seeing anything more than what we've seen out of Marco Gonzalez this year. This feels like one of those things where maybe it's going to take an offseason for him to really get back on track. Could be. Look, I'm not going to tell you if they finish with a losing record that this year was a waste or that they underperformed because I don't think they, they will have. Most people expected this team to lose 90 to 95 games. They're, they're right now six games above 500 and right in the thick of the playoff discussion in an American League where, what, 10 teams currently have winning records? Is that right? 10 teams in the American League? I mean, it's, it's been a fairly competitive, a really competitive league, and the Mariners are right there. It, it might. But if if Seattle is going to finish with a winning record, and if they can even go beyond that and compete for, I, Gonzalez has got to be good, maybe even great, and Kelnick has to be good because I I think it's more likely that Kelnick is an above average player than us seeing Kyle Seager hit two fifty or two sixty. I think this is who Kyle. I think Kyle Seager is who he is at this point. What we saw in the first half, he plays a good third base. Has some pop and he doesn't hit for average. I think some textures are on the same page. Is Paul drunk? Seeger would have to hit 300 plus to even stiff 250 for the year. I do think, though, to get that out of Seeger, that kind of slightly more consistent play is a more realistic ask than looking for that out of Kelnick. Other guys that could be better. Justin Dunn, if he came back and was healthy. Rafael Montero, because <laughs> it can't it get any worse. It, it, He's not even getting swing and misses anymore. No. Like, he's, like, there's, yeah, like, all of those little things that I was trying to talk myself into earlier that, yeah. like, his his pitching's better than the results he've gotten. Like, forget that. Dunn's uh, a good answer. I, I think Justin Dunn has shown enough stuff this year that if he is healthy again, that that is something that can be relatively consistent. Can he give you, I don't know, a, about a four ERA kind of performance each start that he's out there with some of the filthy stuff that he has? Obviously, his control is still an issue. But I think we're at the point where Justice Justin Justin Dunn has more upside than Justice Sheffield. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, she- Sheffield and Seager are the two guys that I kind of look at and say I think that it is what it is at least for this year. And for Seager, that might mean that that he's. I mean, he's reaching the end. This is going to be the final year of his contract in most in, in all likelihood. So we'll see where it goes. I don't. I don't have Justin Dunn. I put in that list with with Kelnick and and with Gonzalez about guys that I would hope could have a better second half. How about Ty France? Can Ty France be better than what he has been to this point? And I, I guess that's the question. Is, is he going to keep ceiling? getting hit? Well, is he going to keep getting hit? Is he going to keep getting head. plunked? Yeah. yeah, he got beamed. He's been plunked. He's been, All of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's not quite 1800s getting plunked, but the guy has had some very unfortunate luck just based off of how far he steps in. I mean, he has been on a, a little bit of a tear of late. 
And if you take a look at, at the very least over the course of this month, and he had that great game on Sunday where he goes three for four, and he, and he uh, has the home run too. So maybe, but that always feels like it's so close to disrupting potentially his rhythm, his flow. All it takes is one hit to the wrist, hit to the head. But France has played well of late. I'm Paul Gallant. He's Danny O'Neill. It's Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. 710-710. Who can be great for the Mariners down the stretch that hasn't to this point this year? Up next, there's a lot of questions about what you might do with specific Seahawks players as we get closer and closer to training camp. What should the Seahawks do about this guy who was probably Seattle's most hyped player going into 2020, at least based off of all the offseason news? We'll tell you about him next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Giving away tickets all day today. Should be pretty exciting. Tickets to the Mariners game. You're going to have a jersey uh, giveaway. You're going to listen for your cue to call to win two tickets to the July 24th Mariners game at T-Mobile Park. That's Saturday. It's Mariners retro jersey night. Mariners host Oakland. The first 10,000 fans will score powder blue jerseys. Look just like the ones the players used to wear. Don't miss out. Get tickets today at Mariners.com. We'll be giving away two tickets every hour over the course of the day. The Seahawks are getting close to training camp. We're now just over a week away from the start of training camp. And we thought each day we would give you a question that Seattle is going to have to answer over the next month, between now and when the season starts. The first question, what you going to do with Marquise Blair? Mm. Marquise Blair, all up in your secondary. What you going to do with Marquise Blair? He was... Going to be your Nickelback last year, and He's I can't ever. Corner. I can't ever remember a Nickelback getting praised as much as Marquise Blair did. You remember all of that? Oh my god! The entire month of August was spent telling you how good he looked, how naturally seemed at the position. This was a guy that's a safety. We knew he could bring the boom. Now, and well, nickel defense was going to be on the field for the majority of the time. It might as well. He was practically going to be a starter. He got hurt in week two. The second scrimmage, because of course the Seahawks didn't have a preseason. He played awesome. He had two picks. He he was all over the place. Now, it was going up against the poor uh, former Wazoo quarterback who looked way, way in over his head in that game. But, yeah, man, he was hyped. He was hyped to a level that we're seeing a little bit from for Daryl Taylor this offseason as well. The, thing, the, the difference is that we had seen Marquise Blair as a thumper in his rookie season. We just didn't understand why he wasn't used a lot. And then that... That was a little bit confusing. Why wasn't he being used more? But he was a rookie. It doesn't feel like he's the kind of person that would be a nickel corner. And I say that basically because he's a safety. And when you have a guy in Ugo Amadi who I think showed some glimpses of real closing speed and ability, don't you want a guy like that maybe as your nickel corner? Do you necessarily have Marquise Blair out there for every single every single time that you're in a nickel package? Do you go back and forth between them based off of who's out there? Like, is Blair there when you want to go big and, and Amadi there when you want to go fast? It's possible. I want the best player. I want the, I want the most impactful player. You could see Marquise Blair as a nickelback would make you better able to defend the run without bringing in a third linebacker. He is a big hitter. There's no doubt about that. They also 
the excitement that they had, they felt he was ready and capable of filling that role. So we'll see. It. I wonder if if a year is going to give them a bit of a different feel for what they're because the, the defense and what they play is going to look different this year, right? They've had a whole year with Jamal Adams. There, there could be other changes with how they go about it. There, there is a little bit that feels like he's. He's redundant. He does the same sort of things that Jamal does, right? Yeah, and I remember when they made that trade, one of the big reasons that I reacted to it the way that I did, I was like, wait a second. I mean, you just got a guy who's a big hitter who is also on the same playing field and on the same defense. That was the spot you expected Blair to start. And now, not that he's better than Jamal Adams, because he's certainly not, but okay, what do you do with Marquise Blair? It looked like they found the answer to that last year. He gets hurt in week two, and now we're back to that. What do you do with Marquise Blair? You have him compete, and you don't give him anything. You don't hand him anything. And I think that he will be competing most with Ugo Amadi. Trey Brown seems like the fourth-round pick that the Seahawks got as a guy that, even though he is undersized, is destined to be on the outside, at least based off of what we heard from them in the post-draft press conferences. So I think it's going to be between those two. And honestly, I can't say who's going to win between those two. Blair, coming off of a knee injury, is he going to be as explosive, as quick as he needs to be in that spot? I mean, that is a that is a position where you're moving side to side a lot, and you got to be, I think, exceptionally quick there. And he will definitely be, I think, playing catch-up at first as he tries to get used to a knee that just had surgery on. We're, we're two years removed from it. I still think the Seahawks goofed in not playing him more as a rookie. I agree. I don't understand why they didn't. I mean, shoot, look at what happened at the beginning of the year. Like the guys that they were putting out there, Lano Hill, Tedrick Thompson, those guys weren't good. And Marquis Blair, maybe there would have been some growing pains. And I know that Pete doesn't want to have growing pains, but you had growing pains with the guys who had been there for a while. And every time Blair was on the field, it seemed like he forced turnovers, right? I mean, it was. And, and I, I get that that can be misleading. He's a big hitter, and, and Pete's defense depends on keeping the back end buttoned up. But, man, it's, it's really hard for me to talk about Marquise Blair and still not go back to that. Like, dude, why didn't he play more his rookie year? We'll, we'll see if they, they find a spot for him and what they end up doing, because it might be just going back to ex- exactly what they had planned to do a year ago. Well, as I said, we want to send you to Saturday's Mariners game. 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. Call in one minute if you're listening on the radio. 30 seconds if you're on the stream. Giving you a little bit of a stagger here. Caller number three will win two tickets to the Mariners Retro Jersey Night on July 24th. We're giving away a pair of Mariners tickets each hour today. Stay tuned, 710 ESPN Seattle, for your next chance to win. How many starting jobs are open on this defense? Well, do we know definitively that Daryl Taylor has this strong side linebacker no. job down? I don't think so. So that's one. Nickel corner, I think that's another one that's up there. Number two corner, I don't yeah. think that you know who the number two corner is at this point in time. You do know your two safeties. Interior defensive line, who's stepping in into that Jaron Reed spot? It's Puna Ford's going to start at one of those tackles. But who's the other one? Right. I, I mean, does Kerry Hyder get moved from defensive end over into that spot? Does he stay at defensive end where he has been at times? And I don't even know if it necessarily matters who, I guess, starts on that defensive line. But I would say at least four. At least four spots right now you're probably looking at are open. And maybe with competition there could be more. But at the very least, four. And I mean, that's not ideal for a defense that, yes, finished the season strong, but 
you wonder just how good the offenses were that they went up against down the stretch. That's probably the biggest under, because if you think and take the Seahawks statistics at face value, that was an awful defense that became not just, not just acceptable, but bordering on good the second half of the year. And, and that coincides with Jamal Adams coming back from a groin injury, right? That's the sunshiny story that you want to tell. They get Carlos Dunlap, Jamal Adams gets healthy, they become hell on wheels. They're, they're, they're an acceptable to good defense. If you, if you combine that defense with the way they played offense the first half of the season, if you get their second half defense with their first half offense, that, that's a Super Bowl caliber team. The other side to look at it is, well, they also played some really crummy quarterbacks in that second half of the season. The, the schedule really broke favorably toward them. Like they, it, it, that, was, that, was about, that, that was about, I find myself more toward the first, that that improvement was real, as opposed to the second, which is that's just a, a result of who you played. And who you went up against, remember, I mean, you lost to Jared Goff in the playoffs. You lost to Jared Goff. Midway but they the lost because their offense was bad, right? They lost to the Giants because their offense couldn't do anything. They Still, lost to the Rams because their defense, because their offense stunk. You didn't, you shouldn't have allowed more points scored by them than you. I mean, your offense obviously was the main reason that you lost, but I mean, you played Colt McCoy. It wasn't even Daniel Jones, who's somehow still in the league when you went up against the Giants. Kyler Murray's shoulder didn't work. Carson Wentz was on a team that just could not help him in any way, shape, or form, and his worst habits all became, I think, manifested in that game where he just can't stop holding onto the football for like five seconds, six seconds. So down the stretch, they went up against a bunch of guys who were just shaky at best. And you have to wonder, when you go up against a slate of better quarterbacks, especially if Aaron Rodgers ends up actually being on the Packers this coming season, which we don't know that for, cer- for certain, then yeah, watch out. It could be, it could be rough at times. It is Danny and Gallant. We've got Brock Hewer joining us for Blue 42. Two more tickets to give away to the Mariners' Saturday night game. That's coming up all ahead. Danny and Gallant.